Hey everybody, it's Associate Pastor Jeff Boyette here at Grace Chapel Fairview, and welcome to our podcast. Our prayer for you today is that you will lean into the message and that you'll walk away feeling inspired and changed, bringing you a new perspective on how Jesus is moving in your life. Let's join Pastor Ian. But the truth is, is Nehemiah chapter 3 is still the inspired Word of God, breathed out. And for us, it, it, it would be easy to kind of skip over it, but I think the problem I articulated to you this morning about showing up to church like me showing up at the mall, not knowing what to do, getting frustrated and letting it push me out of the store and sitting down, I don't want to see the church go, hey, we've got a great work to do. A wall is to be built. The, the, the future is big. And you get so overwhelmed by not having an idea of what to do or how to do it that you slowly just kind of back up. Because Nehemiah chapter 3, it is my opinion that it is a prophetic and sovereign word for God, from God about how we can prescriptively rebuild the walls of our life right here today. The ten gates rebuilt in Jerusalem are articulating exactly how we as, as believers right here in Williamson County, right here in Middle Tennessee, can start to to, to appropriately and rightly look at our own life, make evaluations, and start bringing restoration and restoring. We talked last week about this word, that word repair, to, to build up, to, to, to make right. And so as we look at Nehemiah's call to make a difference and to rebuild Jerusalem, we see these kind of two-step process where he does the first piece, he, he looks at it and he says, hey, before we get to work, in Nehemiah chapter 3, it says that they consecrated the work unto the Lord. It's a very brief part. And I'm not reading the whole chapter to you because we're about to cover a whole chapter. That's a ton of reading. Go home today. Be like the Bereans. Read it over. But, but hear what I'm saying. It says the first thing they did was they consecrated the, the gate to the, to the Lord. If we are going to get a prescriptive outlook on how we can address our life and how we can start to rebuild the walls in our own life, then we must first recognize that there is, there's got to be a difference in our life. That to consecrate something means to, to set it apart and make it holy. To, to take it and, and say, this is, 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 is the, this is normative, this is natural. We're asking God that you would consecrate this. And so as we start to look at our life, we've got to recognize there needs to be a consecration that happens. We need to recognize that God has called you to a holy work. And God is saying, hey, I want to start with you and your life. When the work began, they declared, marked, and separated the work from normal work, and they made it holy and worthy and righteous work. When we start to rebuild, we have to remember to consecrate it. 1 Corinthians 3.10 and 15 says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed to how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work 
and what sort it is. If anyone's work which has been built on it endures, it will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer the loss of it. But he himself will be saved. And yet, so through fire. What he's saying there is, is, is we need to recognize the heart. We need to understand that, that we can do a whole lot of stuff in our life. And if our heart is off, if our heart is, is, isn't consecrated, if our heart, like you can come to church, you can serve in kids ministry, you can give, you can do all this stuff, but if you're doing it to be seen and noticed and, and worthy and you're trying to get something, then it's all for nothing. It turns into wood, hay, and stubble instead of jewels. And so there has to be a, a consecrating a God. Before I start working, I need you to make my heart right. Because I don't want to do a whole bunch of work and it all be for nothing. Because Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't say, apart from me, you can't eat or breathe or walk or talk or attend services. It's that if my heart hasn't been consecrated, if my soul hasn't been, 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 been realigned, then all of the facade, all the activity is a whole lot of nothing. And so a consecration uh, needs to happen where we say, hey God, before I start working on my walls, before I start working on, on the gates that you're about to expose to me, God, would you first consecrate my heart? Make it holy, make the posture of it right before you. I don't need to do this to, to, to earn people's favor. I don't need to do this to look good. I don't need to do this to fill in the blank. I just want to be holy and right before you. So consecrate in me a clean heart, oh God. And when we start to do that, then we can step toward the repairing or the making firm or strong. And this is where we're going to go over the 10 different gates. And everybody, you know, just breathe deep. 10-point sermon. We're already 11 o'clock. I get it. We'll go fast. <laughs> About to make a joke. It's not funny. So what do we need to prepare? Repair. This is where I'm saying, hey, I want to give you, this is like, this isn't like ethereal. This isn't out there. This is like, Grab this, write down 10 points. These are the things that you need to work on. These are the gates that Nehemiah started rebuilding. This is where he dispatched the community, dispatched the people of God. And he said, hey, if we're going to rebuild it, it starts right here. I believe as I started to dig into these 10 gates that these gates are real and alive in us today, that they have been burned down, and we need to stand tall and build strong right here. The first one is this, the sheep gate. This is in the northeastern tip, and, and again, it's kind of the very beginning. It's the, it's the starting place. It's the place where, where, where if you start moving, it's, it's in the northeastern corner, and, and you start seeing how it wraps around in a circular motion. This is where they would come to bring sacrifice. This is where animals would come and, and, and be brought through this gate to the temple altar where the priest would then inspect them, where, the, where, where this, would, would this, uh, this process of sacrifice would take place. So you start thinking about that and say, God, what does that mean? Modern Christianity, modern life with Jesus has become so comfortable 
modern church has become so comfortable that we have lost sight of personal sacrifice. We've lost sight of the fact that it might mean you need to get up early. It might mean you need to work hard. It might mean that you gotta give more. It might mean that you gotta go over there and help them. It might mean that you gotta give up a seat. It might mean that you gotta sit in line in the parking lot. It might mean a lot of sacrifice, and that's okay. We need to get okay with a little bit of sacrifice in our life. Do you know what it was like? And, and, I mean, can we imagine what it would be like if we all were, were under the oppression, under the, 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 the hand of a government that wanted to kill us, that wanted to destroy the church? If you're the underground church, you know sacrifice. And beloved, I think we may be headed in a direction where we're going to feel it. And if we're not okay with it now, I assure you we won't be okay with it then. If we don't understand and get a hold and rebuild the walls where it says, hey, church isn't a place where I should come and feel comfortable. It should be a place where I come and give my life away like Jesus gave his life for me. And when I start to get a hold of that, I start to, to rebuild that, I start to be okay with that, then all of a sudden you see how the church can become resilient and the church can, can become strong and the church can become different because everybody's not walking in going, oh, they're doing that thing I don't like. They're, the lights are weird. The carpet's terrible. This is bad. It's like, it's not about you. <laughs> We've got to get a hold of sacrifice. The second gate that needs to be rebuilt is the fish gate. This is a gate where we're commonly, and this is in a, another part of the, of the country, but this is where the fishermen, this is kind of the, the marina, this is, this is where they came, and they would go fishing, and you start thinking about fishing, and you go, man, the fish gate, what does that represent? Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Beloved, it is my belief that we have got so comfortable. You guys are going to walk out and be like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> We've got so comfortable attending a service and watching something happen on stage, we forgot that every one of us are uniquely called to be fishers of men. You have a purpose and a calling on your life, and as long as you come to this church, I'm never going to let you forget it. It is not my job to go fish for your neighbor. Whose job is it? Your job. Our job is corporately to, to get filled up in this place, but to go out there and make a difference, to go out there and make disciples, to, to go out there and obey and do all the things Jesus instructed us to do and say and trust that when we do, he'll be with us always. And so when we start to think about repairing our life, we need to get serious about going, am I actually doing what God said to do? Am I out there making disciples? Am I out there fishing for men? And if not, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to challenge you and encourage you and uplift you. Go, therefore, and do what he's called to do. I don't care if you're busy. I don't care if you've got a busy schedule. I don't care. I do, too. We all do. 
But it's time for us to stand up and rebuild the fish gate to say, God, we are not here to be bankers and plumbers and electricians and teachers and stay-at-home moms and pastors. We're called to be disciple makers. And so we are to go and do what God's called us to go and do. The third one is this, the old gate. Interesting that this gate represents truth. You've heard it said before, that there's nothing new under the sun, right? That everything, everything that has is, is, is been worth saying has been said. So we're just saying old things in a new way. The truth is, is the old gate is a representation of returning to truth. We have been so coddled and, and so confused by letting emotions and feelings override truth, that it has disillusioned humanity and the church because somewhere along the way, we've forsaken, we've, we've, we've gone away from the ways of old and, and for a new thing. We want to we make it new. And, and, and I, like, listen, I'm all about, like, I like new screens. I like technology. But there's no new truth. The truth is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to the Father except through him. And so we've got to return to the old ways and go, God, and I'm not, some of you are going, yeah, yeah, we got like back like it was in like the 80s, you know? It's like, no! <laughs> I like the 70s. I was a bell-bottom. It was like, no! I'm not talking about fashion or style I'm talking, or, or technology. I'm talking about the truth. We've got to root in that, stay on that, focus on that. And no matter what's going on around us, no matter what things look like, no matter how things happen, we stand on the old way, and it's time to rebuild the old gates. You guys keep clapping. I'll keep going. <laughs> chapter four, or not chapter four, point four. We got ten here. The next one is the valley gate. As we continue through the chapter, the valley gate is down near the bottom. This is where the inspection happened. It represents humility and lowliness. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time here, but in, an, in a culture where pride, success, and, 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 and just all things me are out on display, there is a desperate need to return to humility. There is a desperate need for us to remember that Jesus himself displayed it. And if he did it, then trust me, you should do it. I should do it. This church isn't about Ian. This church isn't about creating an environment where, where some pastor gets to go, look at me, I'm so special. No, this is about Jesus and him alone. And there needs to be a, a returning to, to humbleness. There needs to be a returning to, to, to being rightly postured in the world. I was talking to Luke this week and or last week and he sent me a little note and there was this incredible little quick devotion about humility 
And, and it didn't mean humility, it didn't define humility as just being kind of subservient, meek and mild, lowly, no opinions. The word humble yourself in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, it says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Humble yourself, that word, it doesn't mean posture yourself in a, in a position of just, oh, I'm just terrible. That's false humility. But that word humble, it means to fully step into your God-given place in the world. To fully step into everything God has called you to do. Nothing more and nothing less. To approach your life and say, well, humble is just to say, I'm the worst, I'm bad, I'm terrible. Then how could Jesus be humble? How could Jesus be humble? Because Jesus wouldn't lie. And to say, I'm the worst, I'm terrible, I'm no good, I'm just a terrible... That's not right. Jesus couldn't lie. Jesus is not going to say that. But what did Jesus do? He stepped into his God-given place in the world, nothing more and nothing less. And my encouragement to you all is that we need to, to hear from heaven. We need to stand in some boldness, and we need to step into our God-given place in the world, nothing more and nothing less. The church has to rebuild the valley gate. We have a call to be a light and a hope. And all we are lately is an embarrassment. It's time to rise up. To step into the light. To show the world what does it look like when we, when we be all God's called us to be and do all God's called us to do, which is the definition of grace itself. You see, I believe that the church needs to rebuild, and it doesn't start with me saying, let's rebuild it. It starts with every one of us deciding to step into our God-given place in the world, to stop just attending church and start being the church. And all of us corporately repenting, turning toward God and saying, God, have your way in me. I no longer will, will just will cower back or say it's just for them or I'm not good enough. I'll do whatever you want me to. That's how we rebuild the valley gate. That's how we start to see God move in a, in a mighty and holy way as we humble ourselves before his mighty hand. And then in due time, he will exalt you. Why? Because he cares. Number fives, this would make Shepherd laugh, the dung gate. <laughs> Poop gate. Sounds like a janitorial I'm not going to go there <laughs> Wayne Wearsby says the sanitary disposal of waste materials is essential to the health of a city the gate this gate did not have a beautiful name but it did import uh, it, it did perform an important service it reminds us like the city each of us individually must get rid of that which defiles us and will eventually destroy us. You see, if you don't remove the waste out of your proximity, if you don't get the waste out of your life, you will eventually be defiled by it and you will be destroyed by it. We need to become a people. We need to become a, a family 
personally that starts to get the waste out of our life. Get the fill in the blank out of our life. It's got to go. That which changes you, that which takes you, that which pulls you away from life and godliness has got to get out of your life. That which is, is defiling you, and you, you might go, well, don't go there, Ian, don't go there. Is there a TV show that you're so committed to watching even though it is heinous and, and, and completely destroying your spiritual life? Even though it's pulling your, your eyes to the gutter, your heart to the gutter, and you're going, no, it's not, this not that big of a deal. I've watched it for so many seasons. Like we were watching a show that we've seen forever, and I finally looked at Amanda this week. I said, this is trash. It's got to go. This is not good. And I'll watch a lot of stuff, but like this one, it was just, it, it, it's so populated with, with nasty and gross and defiling that you, at some point, we got to go, get the junk out. It's not okay to just look at it. You know, you, if, 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 if you had, you know, your, your, this is about to get way too graphic. If we didn't have a plumbing system and we were just putting it in bags, how long would you let it pile up by the door? I'm not, I'm not kidding. But you do it with your soul every day. And at some point, we need to rebuild the dung gate and get the crap out. Yeah. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness. I'm not telling you as somebody who stands in some perfect light that, that has no junk, but I'm committed with you as the body of Christ to take a step towards cleaning this up and building that gate. Because if we don't do it, then we'll never look different enough to be asked why we're different. And it'll tear us down bit by bit. Number six, the gate of the fountain. This is a gate of refreshing, life-giving, rep uh, representing the Holy Spirit. This is a gate where, where when we talk about the gate of the fountain, it's a gate that, that, that where you would come to for refreshing, for refueling, for, for, for purpose. I think sometimes our church, and maybe we could get more personal, my own house, I can forget that I need the Holy Spirit to come and move I need God to come and cleanse and wash and refuel. I need God to, 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 to transform and change. I can get caught up as a pastor just going, well, I, I go to church every week and I preach and like I'm there all the time and my wife's there all the time. It's like, no, I need the Holy Spirit to come and move in my life now like I did back then. I need to rebuild the gate of the fountain to say, God, pour out on me before I step into my job, before I step into my church, before I step into my parenting. God, fuel me and refuel me. Fill me and refill me. Make me ready to do what you alone can make me do. Because if, if we can get a hold of that, if we can get that on us, 
We don't walk around empowered by fear and shame and guilt and worry. We are fueled by the fountain of the Holy Spirit. We have, in John 15, it says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father in heaven, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. That word helper, advocate, advantage. You see, I don't want to go into my, my day. I don't want to go into my, my marriage, my parenting, my pastoring, my anything without the unfair advantage of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't approach him in that light and say, God, pour it out on me so that I have, I have a leg up. Not a leg up on my wife, like a leg up on, 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 on winning I want to do this right. I, I want everything you have for me. He is our advantage, our helper, our advocate. Why would we do it without him? And there has been a departure to just go, hey, I just kind of show up here and we compartmentalize our life. We kind of compartmentalize everything so separate that we lose sight of. There's one advantage that weaves through every bit of it. There's one thing, and it's rebuilding that gate of the fountain that'll allow us to have it. The seventh one is the water gate, not to be confused with water gate. <laughs> this symbolizes the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, the living water being washed in the Word. This shouldn't be hard for us to see because you hear me yelling about it, I feel like, every week. We've got to rebuild the water gate. We've got to get back to the truth. We've got to get back to, to the foundation that it is this and this alone. It isn't your preferences. It's not my opinions. It's not our pleasantries. This is about getting into the Word and letting this Word get into us, and not just one time on Sundays, but every day. This side's fired up. This side is, okay, here we go. It's not a competition. Fracture the church. We return to that water gate. And I think the reason there's been such a, a weakness in our church is because we've been so concerned with trying to make people happy. We've been so concerned with trying to, to meet people's desire that we forgot that this is sufficient. It was told to me, I was listening to some podcast or something that, that you know, in big corporations, you know, you, you, they have all this stuff that, that gosh, I'm going to mess this up. It's okay. <laughs> that they have these kind of perks for their job, right? So, so certain companies, and it's gone crazy out in kind of Silicon Valley area, and, and they have these perks at their offices where it's like, man, there's napping pods and on-call masseuses and and, and crazy stuff, you know, like water slides, and I don't even know how you do that at work, but <laughs> crazy perks. And then there's companies that have healthy culture with no perks. And the companies with healthy culture outperform companies with high perks like 10 to 1. 
retention. Companies that, 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 that retain employees don't do it because they have water slides in their office. They do it because they have a healthy base for truth and understanding of what values and culture are. The church needs to stop trying to keep people with perks and start trying to go back to what matters. These last three, we'll try to go quick, but the next one is the horse gate. This is representative of warfare. That there is not some, some sense of just, it's just all peace. It, it, it actually is entreating that this gate represents the fight. This is where they would go to prepare for battle. This is the place where, where the gate of warfare, the gate of, of the fight comes back. And if you missed last week, go back and watch last week to get a picture of fighting. But, but, but we need to perhaps rebuild this gate of holy warfare. Of course we need to walk in mercy and grace, but in an upside-down world where everything is nothing and logic has been lost, I'm here to tell you that we got to fight for marriages, fight for kids, Fight for holiness. Fight for righteousness. It's worth the fight. And if we don't get it, if we miss our moment, yes, we're going to suffer, but they're going to suffer. They're the ones who are going to live in a world where the church is no longer the light. They're going to live in a world where the church has been, has been diminished down to yes men obeying and, and doing whatever they're told to do. Or with fear of the Lord, with humility, with grace, understanding how to do it. And again, go listen to last week. We can stand and fight. We don't fight with carnal warfare. We don't fight the way the world fights. But with tools that can tear down strongholds and beliefs and systems of oppression and, and, and hurt and pain, we can stand tall, we can oppose, and we can be the church. Gate number nine is the east gate. This is a gate of hope. It faced the rising sun. It was a gate of anticipation of the coming day when trials of life and the, and the struggles of earth will end. You see, when we start thinking about the east gate, we've got to remember the promises of heaven. That, that you're not the sum total of your career and your address and your bank account. You are a citizen of heaven called for a purpose, marked with the Holy Spirit. You have been given charge to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he has given you a platform that is your job, that is your career, to accomplish that end. There is no doubt about it. We've got to get the east gate built up because when we stand understanding that, that, that heaven is our home, that heaven is our goal, that heaven is where we land, we stop needing it to be comfortable here because we're going to have eternity there. And so we stand with hope 
And we rebuild to say, to God, teach me about heaven. Pour heaven out. You want to talk? You want to know more about it? Let me know. Shoot me an email. I'll give you books, sermons, all kinds of stuff. Let's get heaven on our minds so we can be useful here on earth. And finally, gate mitkad, the gate of judgment. It's a weird way to end. Don't judge me has become a phrase that has kept Christians from saying what is true for far too long. You need to understand what judgment says in the scriptures. There are two words for it. It is completely separate. One is condemnation, the word krino in Greek. You can't touch that one. You cannot judge someone unto condemnation. You have no part, you have no heritage, you have no right, you have no God-given ability to judge someone's eternity. Thank God. That is reserved for him and him alone. But the other word, which that one is, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you not be judged. For that which you judge will be judged, but you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Crino, that's all about condemnation. You don't get to condemn people. You don't get to say, well, this is what you did, this is what you did, this is what you did, so therefore this is going to be the outcome. You see what I'm saying? Don't touch that one. But what do you do with John 7, 24? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. 1 Corinthians 2.15, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have this mind of Christ. 1 John 4.1, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, judge the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Judgment, condemnation. Judgment, observation. You have the God-given right to judge in an observatory way. If I can't make a judgment on what is right and wrong, where does that leave me? You have to be someone that makes judgments. And so when people say, don't judge me, what they mean is don't condemn me. Which for sure, don't do that. But if you're living in error and sin and you say, don't judge me, I will say, you have been judged. It's wrong to do what is wrong. And it is right to do what is right. It is insane to me that we have so abandoned the truth because we've gone, hey, I don't want to offend anybody. It's wrong to live certain ways. And for you as a brother or sister in Christ to just observe it and act like it's still good is sin. I'm not saying you need to run out of here and say, Pastor told me to judge. You know, it's like, y'all will go viral. I'm saying that we need to stop being afraid of calling a spade a spade. We need to stop being afraid of being scared to go, hey, that's evil and it's not right in God's eyes. 
It, 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 we need to stop being afraid of saying what's happening here is breaking the heart of God. He's not pleased with it. We need to be able to judge with a righteous judgment. And a righteous judgment is a judgment of observation. Hey, all I can say is I know what's true. I know what this word says because I eat it every day. And my observation is that's not pleasing to God. Notice I didn't say, and you're all going to burn in hell for it. <laughs> because I, who knows the mind of God? Who is, to, who is to pull his mercy or push it forward? All I can tell you is right is right and wrong is wrong. And that is right or that is wrong. That is to judge. And we need to rebuild the gate of judgment to rightly understand and not just assume everything's just okay because everything's just okay. It's not some things offend the nostrils of God. And we need to return back to at least understanding what does and what doesn't. We need to return back to the days where we could say, hey, that's wrong. Why? So I can repent like Nehemiah on their behalf. Beloved, we've got to get back to a day where we, where we recognize, where we acknowledge, and we observe that some things are good and some are bad. And as we take this circle of recognizing all of these gates, my belief is that when we start to build those up strong, when we start to see them all get built up again, we start to walk in our God-given place in the world, then all of a sudden the church comes to life in a way it hasn't before. And we start to become a body of believers that can actually make a difference, that can actually make a change, that can actually impact for the glory and the grace of God. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. Well, that was a long one, but let's pray together. Father, we love you, and I pray that our stomachs growling wouldn't prevent us from hearing what you've said today. Lord, I pray that whatever words are Ian's would fall flat on the floor, but whatever words are yours, that you would pluck them and bury them in our heart and let them start to shape us, change us, mold us, and make us more like Jesus. We don't want to play church. We want to be church. So come, God, and start with us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen somebody? Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.